0: The big miss, really, from the large operators is eSports is not just its own thing where they look at it and say, hey, you know, eSports betting handle is really, really tiny relative to other sports, so we're not going to focus on it until it gets much bigger. eSports is like the access point, top of funnel to a demographic of sports better. Those are the age of 30. You're talking like 40% of the global population. If you think about eSports only as a standalone opportunity, just in eSports, it's going to seem really, really small. You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on Twitter Spaces. Follow
1: Gaming News CA on Twitter to join the live audience.
2: Welcome everybody. It's uh, Thursday, November 10th. Uh, welcome to the latest Gaming News Canada show. Another very, very busy week. We've got a couple of special guests today. And uh, also Amanda Brewer from Kinder Kindred Group is here with us as always. Again, lots to talk about. A lot of conferences going on in Toronto this week around the, the sports betting industry so want to get a man's perspective at some point but we're we're going to open the show and and uh also uh, in a few minutes we're going to have Steven saltz the co-founder and CEO from Rivalry join us which is great today but uh Lindsey Slater has called us from uh, I think somewhere in the GTA uh Lindsey's the managing director of gaming for GeoComply and Exciting news this week for the Ontario industry with GeoComply opening up a, a Toronto office on, on Tuesday in the in the Liberty Village section of the of the city and Lindsay you and I had a chance uh, to talk yesterday about uh, about Tuesday's ceremony and and this is this is exciting news on a couple fronts one. Um, uh, and this is something Amanda Brewer talks about often, just the, the economic op- opportunities that this new regulated sports betting and eye gaming market is creating in Ontario. But also GeoComply has a really touching story to tell around Ukraine and the war and and this being an opportunity for you to relocate employees from your Ukrainian offices to, uh, to Toronto this week.
3: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, we've had a really exciting week. Um, GeoComply has been at the... Responsible Gambling Council's uh, a conference, but yeah, more importantly, our, our ribbon cutting for the the new office that we opened um, in Liberty Village in Toronto. Um, and we, we, I guess, we got the keys to the place in September. But um, with the start of the NFL season and our industry's G two E conference, we're now just settling in, and, and with that, uh, still have a lot of newcomers that are joining that office, having relocated from, uh, from the Ukraine. So our team is 30, 40 people now. Um, a lot of those people are from, from the Ukraine and have worked with us for years, been a part of our, our, our family for uh, upwards of a, of a decade with our big office there so it's been an exciting time to see them in their the, the new life that they're setting up in Canada this week
2: and as you as you mentioned yesterday Lindsay when we were speaking uh, you know this was uh, geocomply has been working on this since since the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine started back at the beginning of the year and I know uh, your CEO Anna Sainsbury was was frustrated uh, um in the early days in terms of, of trying to get, uh, trying to get people out of Ukraine and, and get them relocated to Canada. Can you maybe just provide us an update where things are right now? Is it, is it, bec- has it become a little bit easier to get, to get people here?
3: Um, I, yes. It's it, it still, it still takes time and um, longer for some more than others. But I mean, I, I guess as we're saying that we, we started this process before um, the, the Ukraine was invaded last year as part of the business continuity plan when it, it was an apparent emerging risk so we already have moved a lot of people out of out of the country to ensure that our, our infrastructure and systems uh, would not be impacted if something did happen and that's when we started you know the visa process relocation process for a lot of folks and um, I, I would say that it, it hasn't been easy to get all that you know that, that paper paperwork as, as fast as we wanted to get folks out of there. Uh, come in February. So um, we've yeah, we've got a team of 30 or 40, and then there's really going to be a steady stream of, of additional um, employees and and their families coming to Toronto and, and a few have also been going to our office in Montreal.
2: Yeah, before I ask the next question, Lindsay, I just want to remind the audience that if, if anybody has a question for Lindsay, and I think we have, we have her for a pretty short window here, we really appreciate her, her calling in while she's on on the road in the GTA. So if you have a question, let us know. But I did want to ask Lindsay, um, you know, I know a little bit, uh, certainly know about GeoComply and, and the incredible work you, you guys do with your geolocation technology and, and as I mentioned to you yesterday, I'm am a huge fan of your uh, of your communications people and and the infographics that that you post on your social media and and other channels. But can you tell us just a little bit about the kind of work that's going to be done of your Toronto office?
3: Um, I would say we've got a lot of technical staff. So um, everything from um, our. Kind of service delivery function, um, you know, product and release management, and some customer support and account management happens. So a lot of hands-on with our technical systems, but also supporting our customers. Most importantly, those that are now running operations in Ontario.
2: Yeah, and the other thing. Last question, off Lindsay. Again, this this is your uh, your third Canadian office. Uh, we know you're a Vancouver-based business. You you do have offices in in Montreal, but uh you know why why was it important for geo comply to have a presence in toronto and, and i guess ontario for that matter
3: i mean what are originally there, i guess there's a few different reasons we were looking at at toronto a the obvious uh opportunity for the the new i gaming market that's that's been rolled out this year in ontario and being close to our customers and regulators and and everyone that's involved in that effort um also yes relocating people from from the ukraine and then also just accessing the talent pool i would say that we have 130 plus jobs that we're hiring for right now um and we want to find the best you know technical talent there is out there for a lot of the roles that we're hiring for and it's really hard to find (laughs) and toronto has has a, a lot of great talent to offer us so we're looking forward to taking advantage of that and growing out our, um, our, our company and our, our, our skill set that we can offer our customers.
2: Yeah, and Amanda Brewer, like I mentioned at the top here, this this is something that we've talked about going back to your, your time as a consultant with the Canadian Gaming Association two years ago. And we've, we've been talking for for a long time now about the economic uh, benefits. And, and again, GeoComply setting up shop here in Toronto was is, is further proof of that.
4: Yeah. Hi, Lindsay. Um, It's great. And congratulations. Great news, especially with you being able to relocate your, your Ukrainian employees here. And I think it's just another level to this conversation, which we've talked about the economic benefits to this industry launch. And we've talked about the wide range of jobs that are available and how you can have people from very different backgrounds coming to work in this very exciting and dynamic industry. You don't have to have gone and studied you know, sports management or, you know, be a, an online gaming designer to work in this industry. And I think just knowing the extra um, challenges that Lindsay and Gio Coplay had with an existing team and what happened in Ukraine and just being able to, you know, as she said, you know, start, fresh start here, start building some, some new lives here in, in Ontario. I mean, that's just, that's just a, you know, a fantastic story. So, you know full well, kudos to geocomply for, for all that effort. And I hope ongoing success and, and yeah, ongoing success as you, as everyone settles in here. Thanks so much.
2: Great. Listen, Lindsay, thanks. Thanks so much for, for joining us. And uh, again, you're certainly welcome to, to hit the mute button in the car and listen for the rest of the hour, but uh, r- really, really appreciate you joining us today.
3: Thanks so much for having me and for, uh, um, you know our friends and partners in, in Toronto that either joined us at the office or I've, I've seen around town this week. Uh, you guys have been very, very gracious and welcoming of us. So thanks, thanks. Great,
2: guys. thank you, Lindsay. Very well said. Um, let's before we get to Stephen Saltz, I just want to go quickly through some headlines in, in the uh, Gaming News canon newsletter that that came out this morning, as as always, Thursday morning. And as I mentioned at the top of the the show, lots happening as as usual this week. Uh, I guess what I would call a of conferences this week. Um, I was on a, a panel uh, in downtown Toronto on Tuesday morning for the partnership symposium, looking at the the sports betting landscape in Ontario. Uh, as Lindsay mentioned, and then possible gambling councils discovery twenty. 20- 22 conference that's been going on since Tuesday and, and wraps up uh, wraps up today in Toronto. Uh, both Amanda and I are going to be on a sports betting panel at the Primetime Sports Management Conference and Trade Show on Saturday afternoon at the Harbour Castle. So a, a busy week. And, and again, I think uh, fun for people to, to get back together again and get into a conference setting. And, and I'll throw it to Will Hill. And Will, I'm, I know you're at Discovery 2022 this week. Do, do you have any uh, a few takeaways that you'd like to share with the audience?
5: Sure. Before I get to that, though, let me reflect back on, on your talk with Lindsay just a moment ago. Uh, because, as corporately speaking, uh, my employer, SiteLine Payments and GeoComply, are the two best friends that anyone could have. They, they, we, we get along remarkably uh, at uh, a business level, very, very close organizations. And on the topic of office space um, in Las Vegas, Um, both GeoComply and SightLine are in a new complex that's been built by UNLV, where SightLine occupies part of the floor, GeoComply occupies another part of the floor, and there's actually a shared common space where the two organizations can work together. So that actually speaks to... You know, the the relationship that exists between GeoComply and and Sightline. And if I could tip my hat to them, I absolutely would and should, uh, because uh, just a remarkable organization, a great made in Canada success story with incredible technology, but that's not their greatest asset their greatest asset unequivocally is the remarkable people they have working for them uniformly. Every time I've met a new uh, GeoComply employee, uh, they're just, you know, entirely impressive in, in so many ways, just an absolutely great group of people. Um, and uh, getting the chance to attend their new office opening that day with the attorney general and, and many others in attendance. Uh, it was just a, a, a fantastic event. So, so hats off to, uh, uh, to Lindsay and her whole team. They're, they're a wonderful team. As far as discovery is concerned, um, it's been uh, a fantastic event, um, as as usual. The Responsible Gambling Council has done wonderful work to put together a really compelling program with some uh, uh, engaging speakers. Um, our own Jonathan Michaels was part of a fan- panel yesterday on mitigating financial harms from, from, from gambling, uh, but uh, they draw on... Uh, Operators, regulators, uh, RG advocates, clinicians, researchers, treatment specialists, uh, and put them all together uh, in in a room for a couple of days uh, to exchange ideas, uh, learn about new things, um, and and work together uh, and create uh, new partnerships and relationships. Um, And it was absolutely a a fantastic, a fantastic event from from my perspective.
2: Oh, good. And well, well attended, well?
5: Yes. Uh, so the RGC folks um, created two streams this year where you could either attend in person. I think this is born out of the pandemic and um, their attempts to stand up a conference in the last couple of years virtually. But there's two streams. You could either attend in person um, or... Uh, view the different sessions online. So um, there was four or five different slots during the day for panel discussions, and you could actually go in online um, and and listen in and and hear what everyone had to say. And some of the, in fact, some of the speakers that were brought in uh, were calling in from places like Halifax, Nova Scotia, uh, Dublin, Ireland, from from their home offices. So um, my understanding is that both in terms of in-person attendance uh, and online, um, RGC was sold out so um, uh, that's, that's, that's excellent because this is um, a really important conversation to engage in um, the RGC it's, it's wonderful to have them here in Toronto uh, but actually create sort of a, a national uh, conversation around responsible gambling um, in Canada uh, and we certainly benefit from their expertise their skill uh, and their hospitality in putting together an absolutely amazing conference
2: yeah, thanks for that, Will. And uh, yeah, it's interesting the uh, the the partnership symposium that I attended on Tuesday morning. Again, very very well attended, a, a full room at the the Vantage's venue in, in downtown Toronto. And again, responsible gambling was the main topic of conversation, and uh, was really interesting having a chance to to share a panel with uh, Mark Vanderland from the Gaming Commission. Uh, and listen to Mark talk about how that Massachusetts they want to get they want to get that that market right when they when they launch it and they're they're close to doing that and just how important that uh, responsible gambling component is is to that so it's obviously as we, we as, you know we talk RG almost every week in this in this format and uh, and it's it's certainly uh, it's an issue that's, that's not going away and it's an important one to talk about and and we know it's a hot-button topic not just in Ontario or North America but but across the world I want to give a shout out to our friends at at the score who uh, are receiving silver recognition from the prestigious Clio Awards for their uh, skyline seats activation at the RBC Canadian Open uh, back back in June at st. George's Golf and and Country Club Genius Sports came out with this Q3 earnings today, and, and I just saw a tweet from Jeff Sakodny that covers that uh, Genius did receive about a two million dollars share of profits from CFL Ventures through that that partnership that the league uh, the league has with, with Genius. And then finally, just uh, on a bit of a personal note, and, and Mark Silver might want to weigh in here as well. Um, uh, we we all know in the industry about the the layoffs at Twitter last week, and and. Uh, two great friends of, of Parley Media Group in this newsletter, Connor Clarence and, and Cam Gordon, were among the, the people that go at Twitter. And um, we mentioned in the newsletter this morning, I, I just want to mention in, in this form that uh, we really grateful to both Connor and, and Cam for for the support they they gave Parley Media Group in our early days. And, and uh, both guys have been just a great source of information for us as, as we've been doing this newsletter for almost two years now. Um, I think it was Connor who suggested to Mark uh, maybe f- 16 months ago that we uh, we we move our Thursday um, audio chats to to Twitter Spaces, and it's been a great platform for us. But uh, I have absolutely no doubt that, that these guys won't find a new uh, a new home to continue their careers at some point. And and Mark, I'm sure you want to say a few words on that as well.
1: Yeah, I want to thank the group here, the audience that you know comes in every Thursday, and Connor has, has been one of them. Uh, every single week. And, and in my exchange with Connor uh, over LinkedIn, not Twitter, messaging last week, he told me that already the people that are in this Twitter spaces, uh, several of them had reached out to him. So, you know, just a, a testament to the community, Steve, that you built here and how you know we're, we're supporting each other to make sure that good people find good places to uh, have their careers develop and thrive. Great.
2: Very well said. Thanks. Thanks for that, Mark. Uh, listen, let's get to uh, our, our special guest today, or uh, um, I guess our additional special guest, because uh, we, we really appreciate the fact both Amanda and Will Hill join us every every week here. But really, really glad to have Stephen Saltz, the co-founder and, and chief executive officer of, of Robbery, join us today. And I, Robbery just has such a great uh a great story you know a toronto a toronto-based company that uh made its start in in uh in esports betting and and has quickly established itself as a uh, as an operator to be reckoned with in the ontario market but steven maybe i'll just turn over to you and and for some of the people here they probably don't know a lot about your company maybe just give them the sparks notes version of, of robbery how how you started um and and what the company's been able to do in a relatively short period of time.
0: Yeah, for sure. No,
2: thanks. Thanks for
0: having me. So, yeah, we were an esports focus global sports book. Continue continue to be esports focused We put out in our Q2 or maybe I think Q3 numbers that we are still like ninety percent, just over ninety percent of our betting handle is esports, and continues to be the case. And I can say in Ontario specific. The majority of our betting handle here also is esports, so we've kind of continued to see that trend in Ontario. I'd say there's a little more traditional sports here as a percentage of the pie, but but still definitely majority esports. We launched in the summer of 2018 with a Isle of Man license, so one of the more blue-chip global gray market licenses, I guess. Um, found a lot of success in various different global markets, and then... Um, continued to grow the company and in 2022 we launched in the Ontario market right right when it kicked off in April and then we got a license in Australia as well and launched in Australia a few months later. So those are both newer markets for us. Company is just over 100 people. Uh, Brand is very, yeah, definitely, you know, more Gen Z skewed, very uh, thoughtfully bizarre is kind of the language that we use always And, and that's also how we do a lot of our acquisitions. So, company is very like brand equity top heavy very social content top heavy we do uh, the vast 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 majority of our acquisition comes from our content creator portfolio of more than 100 different creators in our global markets our own social media content everything that we do on that side um which you know to juxtapose i guess to a more traditional acquisition method of like affiliates and bonusing and all that um you know that for us is a very 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 tiny percentage of but we do. So yeah, company's been growing at just over twenty percent on average every month for uh, nearly three years now, uh, including you know the last twelve months that we've been public, and that yeah, it's been a fun ride for sure. A lot, a lot of learnings in the regulated betting industry definitely.
2: Thanks, Stephen. Just remind our listeners again: if you have a question for Stephen or, or a comment, please please let us know, and uh, we'll get you uh, we'll get you into the spaces here. I, I do want to stick with the esports thing for a second, Stephen, and and you know, just funny this morning, just while we we were waiting for Twitter spaces, is just seeing some of the stories come across, and uh, you know, the European Parliament has just uh, passed a res- resolution recognizing the value of esports and. And they're recommending a long-term strategy to support and and fund that sector. And uh, you know, while I was waiting for everybody to come on, just before the top of the hour, you know, saw a story out of uh, uh, the British esports organization where they they have a woman in esports initiative, and they've just added seven new members to their. their committee and and uh, been reading a lot over the past couple of weeks about uh, the, the attempts to, to bring esports betting into uh, both uh, New Jersey and, and Nevada and, and some of the different uh, enticements that those states are offering to, to bring Esports betting into the fold. I mean, as someone who's been in that space for a while, do, do you uh, do you chuckle a little bit to yourself that that now esports seems to be the hot uh, a hot commodity, or or
0: uh, did you uh, did you kind of see this coming? Uh, there's been a lot of efforts for a long time. I th- I think what people are realizing and something that we've said for a really long time is even about rivalry, which is we are definitely esports focused as a brand and acquisition method and everything that we do, but really like. It, The way to look at esports, and I think the big miss really from the large operators is esports is not just its own thing where they look at it and say, hey, you know, esports betting handle is really, really tiny relative to other sports. So we're not going to focus on it until it gets much bigger, which is true. But the thing that they're missing consistently, and maybe what the regulators and and these markets are starting to find is esports is just the top of funnel to a demographic of sports better. So, yeah, if you think about esports only as a standalone opportunity, just in esports, it's going to seem really, really small. I think what people are starting to realize is that esports is like the access point, top of funnel to a demographic of sports better, which is, you know, those under the age of 30. You're talking like 40% of the global population, largest generational cohort in history. So you start to like reframe it as if we can get a little more pro um, on esports, it can start to bring in a, you know, um, generationally ladder down the type of people that are, I guess, coming through. Uh, those markets then it looks a little more exciting so i think that's maybe what's starting to happen is there's just a broader more like conceptual understanding of of esports betting that's coming into the fray
2: steve one of the subjects that you and i've talked about about two or three times over the past year or so uh, as i was writing the newsletter and also writing in the toronto star is that, that um, rivalry really targets the Gen Zers and mo- millennials and, and you talk you've spoken with me a few times now about, you know, building products and technology and experience for that demographic. And I think rivalry, your demographic tends to skew younger than than most sports book operators. Can you can you maybe just talk to talk to us about uh how that how's that that started and how it's evolved and, and when you talk about building products, what does that mean specifically?
0: Yeah, when we first launched this space, maybe it was like a little bit of naivety and that, that led us to like building all of our own technology because, like myself and my co founders, more so my co founders who are more engineering backgrounds, they have always just bootstrapped different products. I'd say also, like before we started a rivalry, uh, the three of us had been working on a company called Loot Market in 2016, which was into 2017 which was one of the largest in-game item marketplaces this is like nfts before nfts it's like a third party real money marketplace for buying and selling uh, in-game aesthetics so loot market was like one of the biggest in the world for a particular game like massive volume and it was all originally built so then we went into esports betting it would there was no thought at the time to just white label anything even though that's fairly standard in the space we just thought again we would just build and originally develop everything in-house and i think the, the analogy we've used for a while is like if if you think about you know like a Robin Hood or Wealth Simple versus a Charles Schwab or a TD Ameritrade. Um, fundamentally, they, they do the same thing. You can buy Apple stock on Wealth Simple and you can buy Apple stock on you know Scotia iTrade. But everything from brand, top of funnel, uh, the UX, onboarding, customer support, uh, the comms you receive, like the 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 literal copy in the comms, like everything is completely rebuilt top to bottom for a younger generation investor average account sizes are well simple or like a fraction relative to a typical broker rivalry fair is pretty similar I mean you know we 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 built everything top to bottom because we did feel like fundamentally in a lot of ways you do have to reinvent the wheel for a very different appetite from a very different generation of consumers so rivalry is a lot like that I mean our, our onboarding and kyc process doesn't really feel like a medical form it's you know a little more elegant and has you know some more uh, experiential pieces that are in it and then when you get through that the initial experience of placing a bet, um, everything to a thing we call Rivalry Academy, which is like an education piece. And then even into like the scripting of our support team, which is like very proactive. It's all just like really, really different. You know, even the support team, the way that we build support, we've been huge believers in really great support for this product being a critical pillar because you're handling people's money and they may win or may lose money so it can get contentious. And myself and my co-founders were very big um, believers in great, Customer support being fundamental to the the DNA of like a great consumer product. It's kind of like a Zappos mentality. So even the support, we go into the community of our major markets, and we will pull out people that are of the same demo, so you know under the age of thirty that will work support for rivalry. The script that you get and the conversation that you get with them, it feels like you're talking to somebody that's in the you know your Discord community or your gaming community that's talking to you now on rivalry. So the whole thing is about creating like continuity of experience. Like you want. The meme that they see on a rivalry social account all the way to signing up, registering, depositing, placing a bet, winning or losing a bet, talking to support, the email they receive for us. All of that should feel like one consistent experience, and that's always like the goal. So like, if you don't own everything that you do and you don't own your tech stack, I think it's really difficult to achieve that by just plug and play with third parties. Right, right. And I, I, I assume Stephen
2: too that 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 focus also carries over into your into the way you spend your marketing budgets. And again, we we talked about this, and and I think robbery is taken a bit of a unique path with its marketing, marketing and advertising strategy. And and you're you're not spending a lot of money on television and um maybe you can just talk to us a little bit about about uh, that perspective and some of the things that you have done that, that you think differentiate yourself from some of the sports book and casino operators we see out there who we, who we do know are spending a lot of money on advertising.
0: Yeah, we 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 don't do anything on TV or broadcast or anything like that. We're we're really picky. I think we like to own our entire creative and, and marketing experience and the way that we do that is through a partner network so you know large influencers and content creators in our markets that become rivalry partners philosophically we want to do something you know akin to like a red bull partner program where if you're an extreme sports athlete you're a skier a mountain climber being signed by red bull connotes like a certain level of success when you're a red bull athlete we kind of are looking to achieve something for internet-based creators in our markets where if you're signed by rivalry it connotes a certain level of success that you've made it and you're part of like Rivalry's partner program, which is like really deep. It comes with a huge amount of creative support and um, it it means something totally different. And then that allows us to kind of access their community in a way that is uh, mutually beneficial. So we're helping the content creator grow their audience and deliver something unique for them. And then on the other side of it, um, their community is interested in Rivalry as a supporter of something that they're interested in. And that's led to a lot of success from an acquisition perspective for us. So, yeah, a juxtapose like a traditional operator, if you look at affiliate marketing, which is, I know, a huge part of this industry, traditional affiliates in a sense that most operators would would utilize them would represent over the lifetime of rivalry less than 1% of our acquisition. It's like next to nothing, almost zero. And then the same way that we do bonusing and promotions, like one of the core tenants that we built rivalry off of from the beginning, and we have very strong opinions on this, is we, um, we think that... Relying on bonusing and promotion or that being the key lever for bringing in a customer um, is not a sustainable business model. It doesn't have any uh, inherent leverage in it. You're not building any true brand equity with that. And what it really is at the end of the day is subsidy. So if you have to subsidize a consumer to use your consumer product, you have to ask yourself if like intrinsically you really are doing anything that is of value. And like once the subsidy is gone, do they really want to be there? Do you have to keep subsidizing them? I think that's, like, the thing we've always tried to avoid. So we've done everything possible to just build, like, great product in-house, great brand equity that people legitimately want to engage with and do everything possible to avoid having to subsidize people to use uh, Rivalry.
2: Right, right. Um, anybody at this point have any questions? Um, uh, Mark,
0: you, Amanda,
2: Will?
5: I'll jump in here.
2: Yeah, go ahead,
5: um, rivalry sort of came to my attention a few years back. Between uh, 2015 and 2019, I spent virtually every professional waking hour in the company of uh, OLG CEO Stephen Rigby, who uh, <laughs> was subsequently named to uh, Rivalry's board. Uh, and so I started paying attention to it very early on, uh, after Stephen's appointment, and found it absolutely fascinating. And listening to Stephen today, uh, my interest is perked even further, because one of, the, one of the burning platforms, if you will, for the gaming industry more broadly... Uh, is that for a long time it's grappled with how to attract players under the age of t- under the age of 35 uh, that those people between 20 and 35 for some time now haven't been as enthusiastic or as willing to play a slot machine or a table game or buy a lottery ticket with the same frequency and enthusiasm um, as their parents and their grandparents before them um, And what you really have to do to get past that is meet those customers where they are and as I listen to Steven speak and as I observe what Rivalry is doing in the market, they're right there shaking hands with, the, with those young customers. Uh, and when you look at uh, their most recent uh, quarterly report um, and see uh, the percentage of customers that are under the age of 30, well, they're so well positioned both in the current day uh, but in the longer term. Uh, so, you know, absolutely uh, a, a remarkable success story, Stephen. It's, it's been a delight to listen to you here today um, and to, uh, uh, to see uh, both from your, your words here today, but also uh, from your most recent financials, uh, the success that you're enjoying um, with that, uh, that younger cohort. It's, it's, it's not an easy group and it's not an easy nut to crack, uh, but you've done it. And I, I suspect that's a, a point of pride for you and all your organization.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. No, it def- definitely is. It's we've, we've had to be somewhat patient because like, when we launched in late 2018, the market was not exactly there in the same way. But yeah, I mean, just over 80% of our customers are under 30, and, and the vast majority of those are kind of in the early 20s to... Uh, sorry, yeah, early early to mid-20s. So you know, even as I'm talking right now, I'm looking on Twitter because there's a large... There's a large uh, Counter-Strike. So Counter-Strike is a five-versus-five shooting game. It's a top three, most most bet on esports globally, has been for you know, five-plus five years. There's a very, very large event right now in Brazil. It's called The Major. So Counter-Strike has typically four majors a year. They punctuate the year as the biggest events. And yeah, I mean, we're doing a ton of activations there. And I'm looking right now that the tournament organizer, which is called ESL, posted a picture of a topless guy with a chicken head on. Uh, flexing, and it's our guy. We've got a person dressed up as a chicken running around the stadium. Um, So, you know, it's just, you have to do, you know, the, the, the word we use is just, like, thoughtfully bizarre. I think that's kind of always been, like, rivalry's take on things, but I think it's all just rooted in having to build a like fundamentally consumer product that people want to use not something that they want to abuse i guess so we know in the u.s that the average number of apps that most customers have is two and a half active so called two to three and then there's more than that i'm sure that are inactive and they're just cycling through bonuses and promotions constantly if you go to any major sporting event or nfl game and you see people on their phone betting which is pretty often right now in the u.s you will see them on multiple apps uh, at the same time which is crazy so what we've talked about a lot and really, I guess, like digging our heels in it is that uh, I think that's like how you have to build a moat in this industry now. And I think that's the future is really being able to build a consumer product people want to use because you've got the best one or there's a brand that's 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 of interest. So it's um, something that I think is, is super critical because if you look at other industries like Rideshare, Uber and Lyft suffer from the same thing or grocery delivery, the same thing they all benefited from like cheap money in a, in a decade bull market that allowed them to consistently subsidize customers. And now they're all trying to kind of rebuild their model on the other side of it. I think sports betting
5: has been really, really similar. So, um, yeah, we're trying to always come out on the other side of that. I'm, I'm curious to, as to the extent that you, as you're likely engaging with regulators, um, across North America globally, um, is it sort of educating them on esports and, and the betting market? Um, what kind of reception have you had from different regulatory bodies as, as you sort of present to them what is something divergent from the tri- traditional mainstream sports betting? What, what kind of response have you gotten from regulatory authorities? Yeah, I,
0: I think when we first started and we were getting our license, so we were applying in 2017. There wasn't definitely not a huge amount of knowledge; like it was it was very new for them back then. That definitely has changed a lot. I mean, if you look at Sports Radar, they've got. Their base product, which they've um, been quite good with, and and it's you you're talking at about two of the biggest, largest uh, two of the largest, sorry, odds making in Sport Radar, and then obviously Bet Genius that they've got a pretty deep esports team, esports product, which has been helpful because they're just like that duopoly of odds making globally. So it, there's just been a huge amount of investment in this space over the last couple of years, and it's changed like a lot of commentary, a lot of press coverage, etc. So it's gotten significantly easier, and I'd say that. The thing that we've always told the regulators, and it's kind of helped them get their 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 mind around it, is at the end of the day, like eSports is just, if you abstract the concept of video games from it, which is what makes it seem so bizarre, you're really just watching two teams play each other competitively in something that you like. And you can say the same about any sport. You know, football is just two teams playing each other competitively in something that you like. There's, there really is no difference. So once they kind of get their head around that and they try to... Um, you know, lose some of the stereotypes or misnomers they may have about gaming and esports. It it comes pretty quick. Like we we've it's been probably honestly a few years since we've had a regulator turn their head sideways to esports. There, it's it's pretty natural now. I'd say honestly.
2: Yeah, Mark Silver, you want to jump in here?
1: Yeah, listen, I, I wanted to say congrats on what you've been able to do with the brand. I mean, esports. Happens a lot in my home, generally by my my son, who is not of age to uh, to legally bet. But I'll, I'll give you a lot of credit here. You know, I, I, uh, I get this newsletter, The Peak, you know, every day. And all of a sudden, a few months ago, I started seeing you you appear in there, as you know full well. But the way that you do it, for sure, when you click through, I see it's an affiliate link. But the way that The Peak covers you, it's very organic. It's just part of their content. And Stephen, I wonder if you can just help us understand a little bit more about that, you know, the your the relationships that you have around engaging the community. So there's the peak newsletter we've also seen, and I've seen it promoted through the peak actually is your, your community events. And it's a great strategy. So we're, we're we're here with admiration on what you're doing and hoping to learn a little more about, you know, how that's part of the brand that you're building.
0: For sure. So definitely around for, we, we we did do some stuff on on the traditional sports side. So on the NFL side, I I think the, the peak was promoting it. We did some tailgates and we did them in, in unison with content creators and influencers local to the markets. So there's a big comedian creator named Nima Naz who's quite popular in Toronto uh, and Ontario broadly. And we did kind of tailgates alongside him and his community, which then allowed us to bring together a demo that's a little more consistent with with rivalry mixed with, let's say, a more traditional NFL sports better demographic, which does skew a bit older than what we're typically used to. And then going more to like our bread and butter of esports, we just did this past weekend you had the final for league of legends worlds which is kind of the super bowl level event for the largest esport globally being league of legends and we did a, a watch party at a pc center in toronto called invictus gaming and invictus is yeah probably the biggest uh pc center in in the city and we're, we're kind of like the brand partner there so if you go to invictus any day including now you would see like rivalry posters and branding or even you know the background to the pcs in the pc center so and and it's all it's all pretty light touch. It's it's again just like engaging in like really great branding and just like really well executed creative that, that just kind of grabs your eye and uh, doing stuff for the community because the big difference between like the esports community, let's say traditional sports, is traditional sports has been kind of like beaten to death from brands, sports betting, uh, like sports books, sports betting brands. There's just so much money that's gone into it. It's really difficult to compete unless you've got a really big balance sheet. And al- almost everything has been done. Whereas esports. There just is not a huge amount of investment in it. So for us to put on like really great community events in Toronto for major esports events, we're basically like the only one doing it. And it's very similar in our other markets. Is like the the way that we invest from a dollars perspective, it is not that big relative to what it would cost to do the exact same thing in traditional sports. But for the esports community, it's massive. Like they've never had something like this. They never had a brand investing in that way. So yeah, there's just a huge amount of opportunity uh, if you do it right. To I get a lot of bang for your buck definitely for the community and the community also like really values it there's just again there's there's not a lot of investment still in the space and anything unique you can do for the community you get a huge amount of recognition and value and again if you go back to traditional sports you know you watch watch any major game now and you're seeing like multiple sports betting brands whether it's on like the boards or it's uh, on the jerseys or the helmets or it's the various commercials you're going to see three different brands if you watch esports it's just not the case like you'll see either zero or you might see rivalry so it's just it's yeah it's it's not yet like well trodden ground and it just creates a huge amount of room for for opportunity.
2: Steven, as someone who's never attended an esports tournament, like is the, is the esports betting experience similar to to sitting at an NFL game and and people are betting just off their phone and 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 maybe again for someone who like myself who doesn't bet on esports, can you maybe just tell us a little bit like how? What kind of bets are you placing around a Counter-Strike tournament or
0: Call call of Duty? Yeah, it depends. So right right now this event in Brazil, I think if you tune into the stream, so the thing about esports is it's all live streamed typically on Twitch for free. So that's the big difference between that and sports is you can watch all these games for free. Or if you go to Rivalry, we uh, we have everything embedded. So it also, from a betting experience perspective, because the streams are free and available, we embed every stream for essentially every game for every major esport on rivalry. So you can both watch and bet at the same time. You don't have to pay any extra for the rights or anything like that. Um, so right now, if you went to Twitch, for example, and you, and you looked at Counter-Strike or it would be under ESL, there's the major event happening in Brazil. The stadium honestly would be unlike anything you've probably seen before, just because Brazilian sports fans and esports fans alike are yeah, very feverish and uh, extremely, extremely passionate. So, uh, the stadium is, is crazy, but I'll give you like a Toronto-specific example that goes back many years. So 2016, the quarterfinal for League of Legends Worlds, which is the big event I just mentioned, like Super Bowl-level equivalent event, the quarterfinals was held at the Air Canada Centre. I don't, I don't remember what it's called now, but the, the Air Canada Centre in the city, I think it maxes at like 17 or 18,000 seats because they just put the two teams, which are five versus five, sitting at computers kind of at centre ice, they sold out two days in a row because it was semifinals. They sold out two days in a row, uh, about, yeah, 16,000, seats, however many it is, in less than 60 seconds in 2016. And I went to that event, and it was, like, to this day, the, the craziest, loudest sporting event in Toronto I've ever been to. Uh, and, and it sold out quicker than a Bieber concert, and Bieber obviously being a hometown hero. So that just gives you, like, an impression of even, like, the scope. Of like the passion in the market in Toronto alone, let alone globally, which is which is enormous. You know, like an, an average weekday esports event, depending on uh the game, can do more than you know, Stanley Cup uh um you know semis and quarters, and it's just like a regular season game because the sport is so global. So um, yeah, it's 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 quite interesting. I think people just don't realize it. And all you have to do is go on Twitch and just watch any event you'll see. And then from a betting perspective. Again, you can compare it almost to like hockey. You've got, you know, you can bet on who's gonna win the, the first puck drop or whatever maybe or over-unders and handicaps on the periods, everything very, very similar to Counter Strike. So Counter Strike's first round is like the pistol round where you don't have a lot of money or economy, so you haven't been able to buy a lot of weapons. And you can bet on who's gonna win that. So again, it's like almost like betting on, you know, who's gonna win the, the first puck drop or something like that, or who's gonna win the coin flip at the NFL. It's really similar. So it's got all these like really hyper contextual things that are specific to that individual game. And then similar to traditional sports, like we see, you know, seventy to eighty percent of all of our wagers on esports are in play live bets. So yeah, in play is super, super dominant for esports just as it is for traditional sports, now. Very, very similar, now.
2: Do you see that when the traditional sports books they talk about in play betting as being early days and do you see
0: that continuing to evolve in the esports betting field as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, we're excited for even more micro markets or micro betting, whatever uh, everyone's calling it now, just because there's so many contextual events that happen in a video game, even more so than traditional sports. I remember this was like years ago, it used to be like a talking point, but on, on any given moment for most major esports, there's up to 50 data points on the screen at, at, uh, at again, any moment in time. Even compared to traditional sports, you know, you've know, you got maybe like the time, score, penalties, et cetera. There's usually like a dozen or so is like the average, but again, put on any sport and just like look at how much stuff is in your your point of view. It's it's incredible. So yeah, the amount of information coming your way um, and the relative just uh, the attention span that it appeals to is so fundamentally different than traditional sports that like the opportunity for like micro markets and micro events is is huge. So we think it's super super early and uh, not even close to what's possible for. Just the sheer volume and like breadth and depth of betting markets that's possible in esports.
2: Right, right. Um The last question I have for you, Stephen, is just, uh, you know, are you following what's going on outside of Ontario across the rest of the Canada? Is that something that Robbery's really concerned with, or you know, are you are you watching what's going on in Alberta and BC and the Atlantic provinces? I mean, do you is that is that important for Robbery to to Hopefully, have those markets open up and being able to take your business into those provinces as
0: well. Yeah, definitely. Like we, we obviously would like to continue to expand in rest of Canada. I think the the one thing that's somewhat unique about esports and then rivalry, one given we're focused on esports, which is a global sport, into the demographic that we're looking at consistently is under the age of thirty. That demo is coming of age everywhere. Like the, there, there's a great market for under thirties globally because they're just coming into these kind of consumer products. So definitely being like canadian-based and definitely a like canadian proud company we would of course welcome as many provinces as possible i we're not following super closely like it, it there was a lot more activity it seemed like around when ontario was going live uh, maybe we're not following as close but really when ontario was going live versus now in terms of where the other provinces are tracking where they're at we would definitely love to to do more but We've got our eye on also, you know, probably half a dozen or more other international markets that are super exciting for us just because, again, like the, the appetite of free sports is so global uh, and the scope of the demographic is also, of course, like completely global. So we feel we're, we're super early in the trajectory and we've, we've got a playbook that really works and, and now we're just repeating it in as many markets as we can and continuing to kind of expand the rivalry brand globally.
2: Yeah, and I would expect, too, we're going to see esports and beyond Nevada and uh, New Jersey
0: in the U.S. as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, the U.S. I'd say, and maybe similar to Canada, like, the, the pairing of watching esports and betting on it is not as mature as you would find in other markets, and that's just simply because, um, yeah, even, like, the esports audience here is not as mature as it has been in Europe or Southeast Asia and elsewhere, which is just kind of how it's always trended for many, many years. Um, but but definitely more Canadian provinces and and more more U.S. states would be would be great. Uh,
2: any uh, any final questions for for
0: Stephen from
2: uh, Mark, you or, or or Will or Amanda or anybody else? I'm going to take that as a no. Uh, listen, Stephen, re- really appreciate this. is uh, This is long overdue. I'm really glad that, that you could join us on Twitter Spaces today and, and the Gaming News Canada show. And, and uh, let's uh, let's definitely get you back at, at some point and uh, tackle what Mark and, and Will both said. Congratulations on the success that robberies had so far. And it's certainly an operator that we're going to continue to watch
0: very closely. Yeah, really, really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, thanks for having me, everybody. And, and definitely, like, you know, send me a message on Twitter directly. My send me an email, whatever works. Always happy to follow up with with anybody
2: great uh thanks Stephen. and yeah we also want to thank uh steven's uh, corporate communications guy cody Luongo, for the the very cool graphic to help f- promote our spaces today it's uh <laughs> it's really the 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 boldest and brightest promotion we we've had yet and and kind of uh
0: is very reflective of the roamer brand so
2: thanks again Stephen, and and thank you cody
0: yeah well we we've we've since retitled him to communications dude so it's his title now
2: Oh, excellent. I like that. I like that. Well, I, I look forward to getting Cody's new business card.
0: Yeah. Thanks for that, Thank you. Thanks, everyone.
2: Hey, Amanda, I'm hope, hoping to get you in here for a second. Um, one of the one of the stories that uh, we mentioned in the newsletter this week is uh, a piece that uh, Dave Briggs at Play Canada called this week. Uh, Dave interviewed Jeremy Loop from the Canadian Centre for Ethics and Sport, and he, uh, I think he reiterated some earlier concerns. And again... It's, a, a bit of a uh, multifaceted story. I mean, the Kane Center for Ethics of Sport was very supportive of the passing of Bill C 218 um, over, over a year ago, um, but uh, the CCS still has concerns over match fixing and, and thinks that maybe the government didn't go far enough in, in putting some, uh, I guess, guardrails in place to, to try to prevent uh, match fixing. A- any thoughts on that, Amanda? So
4: I know. Um what they would really like to see have happen is Canada signed the Macklin Convention and yes. Ontario is the only province right now that has taken the first step towards that because Ontario has a set of standards for sports betting and it has a legal and regulated market. No other province has that. Um, so until we get the other provinces, you know, able to put standards in place, work work with integrity monitors, um, make sure any of the operators in their market are working with integrity market uh, monitors and following standards, it's going to be very difficult for Canada to be a signatory to the Macklin Convention. And I know it's something Paul Burns has sort of signaled a little bit of frustration. I mean, remember, like the federal government has nothing to do with gaming anymore. Those powers were handed over to the provinces many decades ago. That's how we ended up with conduct and manage and the various interpretations of conduct and manage, um, depending on what province you you are standing in. Um, but the reality is the government, you know, can't really do much until other provinces start to enact really strict uh, standards for sports betting. Um, so hopefully that's something we'll start to see some movement on in in the future. The lottery corporations have products, of course, and they have standards, of course. But you know we can't ignore the flourishing grey market that exists everywhere else but Ontario.
2: Yeah, Will Hill, any thoughts on that?
5: Uh, afraid none. Uh, you know, I I think Amanda killed it right there. She absolutely uh, crushed it.
2: Man, just to follow up on that, I mean, I just wonder. It seems to me that given you know we've done we've done this with doping. Um, hopefully, we're moving towards this with with making sports safer for athletes. But I just wonder if if some kind of education around sports betting and gambling and and you know, kind of at least putting match fixing on an athlete's radar shouldn't be uh, shouldn't have a, a place to uh, to play with educating uh, athletes from, from the national sports organizations. Well, I
4: hope I'm not stealing too much thunder, but CCES has had an annual symposium. They haven't for the last couple of years because of COVID. So they will be uh, partnering with SBC when the Canadian gaming summit comes back to Toronto next June. Um, So that's a fantastic opportunity given, you know, who will be attending um, and, the other topics that will be discussed. Um, but I know also in my conversations with IBEA, so um, it's one of the two uh, integrity monitors that have MOUs with the AGC. AGC. I feel like I'm throwing a ton of acronyms around. I apologize. Uh, in Ontario. So IBEA has had a separate conversation with CCES and it is definitely looking to put some athlete education uh, tools, programming, content uh, out into the wider marketplace, and that's really the first um, step. That's really, you know, the 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 easiest piece that can get kind of checked off immediately is really just getting um, again a, a cohesive set of, of 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 standards for athlete education, just so that they understand the risks, they understand what can happen, they understand what their role is, and the beautiful thing I, about IB is they've really distilled it down into. Um, you know, a very easy set of messages that hopefully anyone can 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 remember and recall, but it really comes down to, you know, educating the athletes on what can happen, but also having a very clear understanding of what their role is to report it and how they report it. So hopefully we will see some movement in that front in uh, 2023, but, you know, those conversations have started.
2: Right. Great. Thanks, A Great insight. Uh, I'd also like to get you and Will uh, to... Give me your thoughts on this one too and one of the items we had in the stateside story section of the of the newsletter this week was um you know the the new york uh, sports betting industry now has taken in uh, 500 million dollars in, in tax revenue since uh, since legal betting began there in in january um and again it's just it's, it's an interesting story what's going on there again with a 51 percent tax rate on the operators it's a it's a limited number of operators um, when you I'll start maybe start with you, will, when you hear that $500 million dollars in tax revenue, what, what do, you, do you think about? Is that a sign that the New York market is a sustainable industry? or is there a belief that that 51% tax rate is, is too high or, or is, it, is it a signal that we might see more operators coming in because they see the potential in New York?
5: So the way New York is set up, there are nine licensees that I, as as I understand, are sorted under two licenses. Uh, So there are two consortiums, one of five, one of four. Uh, And on the day that they were announced, um, uh, I actually emailed uh, a dear friend who's uh, a a, shall we say a senior executive at one of the licensees uh and i uh, said congratulations this is great news uh, uh you're about to make it there and if you can make it there you can make it anywhere uh, and he, he he writes back he says well never been so happy to pay 51 percent of my money in my life <laughs> and so um i i would think uh, at least uh you know uh, you know, the ebullience of, of day one. Uh, I, th- I think that's still lasting. It's, it's an incredible market. I mean, you're talking about, uh, 20 million people, um, and just a fervent, fervent fan base uh, for sports. So yes, I, I, I do believe it's sustainable. Um, I, I've often said that, that ultimately, you know, uh, New York, when you're po- pulling together operators like that, um, that could be sort of a precursor to consolidation that I think is inevitable in the marketplace uh, where certain brands are actually going to uh, start working together and, and perhaps one swallows the other up for its customer base or its technology or a little bit of both that um, that's that's ultimately what what could come um, and and maybe New York is actually you know sort of one of the the catalytic factors for that because of that exorbitant tax rate so uh, we'll see but uh, uh, it's it's actually, lovely to see that after so many years of new york talking about this and talking about this uh that they've jumped in um and that there is absolutely a proof of concept now amanda
4: so i guess the only thing i'll say is i know early days before um before ontario launched i was on another twitter spaces call with Captain Jack Andrews, Um, and one of the common complaints from sports bettors, and these are people who take their sports betting pretty seriously was if you looked at who's operating in the states, it's the same operators, and it doesn't matter which state you go to, it's the same. So you're seeing the same operators, the same marketing campaigns, the same bonuses, the same offers, the same, same, same. So Yeah, echoing everything that Will said, because it's true, but also it's your same operators, right? So I think the flip side in Ontario is you're seeing a whole bunch of operators that have the chance to try and achieve something in our market um, that you will never, ever, ever, ever experience in any of the U.S. states. Because either, you know, the number of licenses is limited, the tax rate is too high, or there's a host of other reasons why... Um, you see very small numbers of operators um, going after licenses. So which model is the best? It's not to say that one is going to be better than the other. I think it comes down to the culture and, then you know, the climate and all of a whole bunch of other reasons. But I don't think Ontario's is one to be sneezed at either. But I also say we had no other option than to do it this way, given the the very entrenched gray market that existed pre-regulation. So um, I think, you know, states are going to make decisions that are right for their jurisdictions and their citizens but you know just being mindful that it is you know also the flip side that you are probably you know the more conditions you put on achieving a license the more you know you're just going to be driving out some of the smaller and medium-sized operators from the market just because it's too cost prohibitive to enter
5: I think one more thing that's that's actually timely and relevant as it this pertains per t- specifically to New York, uh, but other states as well, is this last week we've seen the midterm elections in the U.S., and now that that is behind us, um, the idea of expanding iCasino into multiple other states, New York included, is probably back on the table now uh, because no one likes to talk about gambling policy during an election year, uh, but once uh, November is uh, starts getting further and further away in the rearview mirror uh well then the idea of, of engaging in i casino in in a new york or, or multiple other jurisdictions where there's already legalized sports betting and the sky hasn't fallen and the earth hasn't opened up underneath uh, their feet um you know doing online gaming uh, with a much higher margin product uh, is more likely to be contemplated uh, in new york and elsewhere
4: but not in california
5: No, no. Uh, There, there was a giant pile of money that uh, unfortunately largely got set on fire, it seems like. Uh, So uh, that's, that's been shelved, at least for the short term.
2: Uh, yep. Yeah, as uh, the old uh, Pittsburgh Penguins announcer said, Mike Lang used to say, "Guys, the uh, uh, California got beaten like a Brandon mule So, um, so much for that. Well, let's uh, let's end it there. Um, Amanda Brewer from Kinder Group. Looking forward to seeing you on on Saturday afternoon and, and educating the masses at the at the primetime conference. Um, mm-hmm. Will Hill from Sightline Payments, thanks as always for, for joining us. I know you've had a busy week with uh, with Discovery 22 and your your regular 9-to-9 uh, nine nine to nine duty. So thanks for hopping on. Thanks, Mark Silver from Parlay Media Group as always. And a uh, special thanks to Stephen Saltz, the uh, co-founder and CEO of Rivalry, for, uh, for joining us, uh, uh, making his maiden uh, Gaming News Canada appearance. Uh, let's end it there. Uh, as always, please if you don't subscribe to the Gaming News Canon newsletter, p- please do. It's on Substack. It's a it's a it's a good read. Covered. We, we try to do a pretty good job covering the industry every week. Um, don't forget tomorrow is uh, Remembrance Day. L- lest we forget. So, you know, if you can't do it at eleven o'clock in the in the morning local time, uh, maybe just try to find a few seconds during the day to re- reflect and thank uh, thank the people who fought for for our country. Um, please enjoy this still very lovely fall weather. Uh, be, be safe out there. Oh, no, sorry. Also, I just want to thank Lindsay Slater, um, the managing director of gaming from GeoComply, for, for calling in as well. So everybody enjoy the rest of your week. Have a, have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here next Thursday.
1: Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show, a Parlay Media Group production. Sign up for our weekly newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Gaming News on Twitter to join the live audience and DM us if you're interested in sponsorship or being a featured guest.